She uh she probably saw how bad your team struggled yesterday in ball. She's like, I gotta speed up the progress and get to the court soon. Because you could have used another player or two. Could have used her instead of three of our guys in our team. <laughs> <laughs> God, these guys were terrible, man. Oh my God. It was it was actually fun to see Josh so frustrated. I love seeing frustrated Josh on the court. It's hilarious. <laughs> Because he tries so hard, you know, and like just crumbles beneath you, yeah. you know. Trying to get these dubs, those... man. Yeah, and these, especially the moments where there's like a really bad pass or um, like no one does, like leaves a player wide open for a shot. You just see Josh, like it's like 0.5 second, like, like, you know, like that's it. And then just regroups. <laughs> yeah. Josh blames his teammates like LeBron does, man. Yeah, you got that Laker cancer culture. Okay, cancer. Cancel culture. Uh, and cancer culture. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did Cousin Greg say again? When it needs to be said, be said or something like that? If it is to be said, <laughs> it is so or some shit like that. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I feel about the situation. Sometimes things just need to be said, you know? What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the baby daddy relegated to the basement, the Iceman, Josh Cohen. How you doing? Feeling great. NBA basketball is back. Second half of the season's here. Things are looking up. Just like you, looking up at the rest of the house, huh? Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I've been relegated. Oh, that's so sad, man. Uh, the banger in the paint, our residential medical expert, the new point guard on his pickup teams, I'm assuming at least. Rajan Wally, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling uh, pretty good. You know what? I feel like Josh is getting the full Kings experience, being in the basement, looking up, being relegated. I'm a bit jealous there. Jealous? I'm jealous. <laughs> of the Kings? See, I- I'm a winner. <laughs> Six and one in pickup basketball. Josh, uh, probably a miserable, what, one and five? And we won two games yesterday, first of all. And I feel like Tyrese Halliburton before he got traded to the Pacers. But even then, he got traded to the Pacers. You're not going to win many games anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think it's much of an improvement going to the Pacers, man. Now he's stuck with, like, who, who else is on the Pacers now? Miles O'Shea Turner. Brissett. Brogdon. Miles Turner, if he ever touches the court. Brogdon. Uh, yeah, not, not great. Oh, Chris Duarte, your favorite player. Your favorite non-efficient chucker? Yeah, they're basically... I mean, I wouldn't say they're the kings of the East, obviously, because the Pacers actually have had some success in the last couple of years. But based on the scenario that they're in, being in, like, the bottom, I guess, three of the East, I guess they are this year anyway. For now. For now. This is, like, the first time the Pacers haven't uh, gone for the playoffs in a while, right? I think it's going to be their first lottery pick or a draft pick or top ten draft pick in, like, decades. Since like Reggie Miller days, so haven't seen the the Pacers really rebuilding in a long ass time. Not in our lifetime, at least. It still feels like they're trying though, and bringing Brogdon back, and I feel like Turner is going to be back at some point too. So maybe they make a you know make a shot at the ten seed. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I hope not. I hope I hope Turner stays on the bench until the end of the year, just because uh, I have I picked up O'Shea Brissett, and you know my boy's killing it straight from Mississauga. 
Yeah, and uh, Chet Holmgren is like the most Indiana player ever. So if they actually get in the top 100%. five of the lottery, I think he'd be a perfect fit there. He'd be a great look. Chet Holmgren looks like he should be on the Hoosiers, right? <laughs> most definitely. Yeah, even with that name, Chet. Yeah, he just looks he's the part, a... too. He's like 190 pounds soaking wet, too. He'd be left in <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> so what? <laughs> What does that have to do with Indiana? He's making silver water just likes, in Indiana. He what looks like one of the characters in the Hoosiers. Honestly, he looks like a skinny white dude. It's perfect for them. <laughs> Josh is making his I mean, own basketball references like uh, Chuck and San Antonio women. <laughs> big old women. <laughs> big old women. Talking about the big old people, James Harden has apparently lost all his big old weight in Philadelphia because this dude is looking... I mean, he's looking like he's in shape all over again. He's looking like Vince resurging into the into the New Jersey Nets back in the day. Have, have you guys ever seen a player go from, like, fat, complaining about hamstring injuries and hand injuries? You know, injuries that you can't really resolve. And then, what, a week, two weeks later, he's basically turned into his MVP caliber self again? Don't get me wrong. It's only been two games that... We've seen from James Harden in Philadelphia. He's played against the lowly New York Knicks and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that was like his, obviously his debut, right? He's going to have a big game. But this Harden, man, he looks like, this is like almost prime Houston Rockets Harden right now. Physically, at least. Physically. Uh, Josh, man, when was the last time you saw like a, a comeback like this, so to speak? Or, you know, a lack of tanking. Uh, the last time he got traded to a team, I guess. They, they showed a stat on ESPN Stats and Info. <laughs> his good. first game with his new team with Houston and Brooklyn. And he did the exact same thing with them, too. This is a honeymoon stage for them, obviously. But the big thing was me, with me is like how he's been able to lose the weight within a, such a small period of time. We definitely need an investigation or a 30 for 30 on this. How he looks so fat on one team. And then two weeks later... He looks not skinny, but like skinny for Harden, right? And he comes to the he must have like a UFC trainer or something where he just like puts himself in a garbage bag and does all these crazy workouts and loses like all the water weight and all the ex- excess weight within like a one week span in order to make weight for the team. I know that Philadelphia probably isn't like Miami where they have to reach a certain body percentage, body fat percentage, but uh, you know he's done something different. Maybe it's Jenny Craig. Who knows? <laughs> Well, we know now that Harden, after his career, he's not going to go into broadcasting or work in any GM role. He's going to be one of those players that ends up selling a diet regiment. And honestly, he's the best. <laughs> he's the no, best I think example. he's going to go the opposite way. I think he's going to be like a competitor in one of those hot dog eating competitions. He's going to get huge by the time he's 40. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's not on brand for Harden. Yeah, I like James Harden like joining an MLM trying to sell like diet juice to kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious, man. <laughs> and improves beard hair length as well. Um, but no, Harden Harden has had a change, and you know what's even surprising? I saw this on Twitter just passing through the comments that he was playing on the Brooklyn Nets, and primarily they were black jerseys, and that shit's supposed to make you look slim as hell. And he's looking even thinner in the 76ers jerseys. So uh, maybe we're even under. Uh, representing how much weight he's lost or how well 
He was able to get in shape in what, two weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, but mm-hmm. hey, they've had two games. They, they had two wins against teams that aren't going to be contenders, but you know what? Their wins. He's working well with Embiid. Embiid seems happy. I think anything but Simmons would have made ha- uh, Embiid happy. And I think the jury is still going to be out, obviously, on how Harden performs, especially later in the year playoffs. But you know what? It's looking good. If you're a 76ers fan, a lot to look forward to. Is there, though? I don't think that there is, honestly. <laughs> I think that, yes, they've won these two games, but if you watch these games, they've taken like a thousand free throws. They're the most unwatchable team in the NBA, like a lot of people predicted. And come playoff time, they're not going to be getting all these stupid calls that, you know, they weren't calling early in the year. Like, Joel Embiid has basically turned into like center version of James Harden getting the free throw line. Now he just throws his body into people and they call it every fucking time. And it's so annoying to watch. He fouled out both New York centers yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> then a span of three and a half quarters. It was brutal to watch. But, you know, come playoff time when they play against these quicker, better defensive teams that know how to stop these dribble handoffs and easy looks around the paint, I don't think that the guys around are going to be able to support them. And, I again, Harden's going to choke in the playoffs. So I have no fear of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers getting the finals this year. Yeah, but I, I mean... I th- go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I mean, fouling out New York centers isn't really much of a feat these days, you know? Who are you looking at fouling out? Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson, two of them the guys who foul the most in the league? Psh, come he on, did the man. same thing to Cat, though. I mean, Cat isn't a Joel great Emb- defensive no, player no, no. either. Not fair. Not fair. Joel Embiid has been in Cat's mind since they entered the league. Not, not a fair comparison, Josh. Joel Embiid set up shop there the same way he set up shop in Andre Drummond's head. So much to the point that Andre Drummond had to become his backup center. <laughs> nah, man. Yeah, but if you watch the game, though, like, he barely even posted up in that game. It was mostly, like, off the pick and rolls, face-up plays, etc., and just throwing his body into Cat every time. It's just, the referees falling for this stuff is complete nonsense, which, again, was why they're so unwatchable. Yes, they're winning, but am I going to enjoy watching them? No. Am I going to watch a majority of their games from now on? Probably not. But were you watching it before? Were you watching I mean, Philly games when it was Seth Curry doing this with him instead of James Harden? No. I would much rather watch Seth Curry than James Harden. Would you You're rather just... watch Paul Millsap instead of uh, Andre Drummond? No, that part I don't care about. <laughs> Paul, Millsap is, Paul Millsap is so washed. Oh, my God. When he came in the game yesterday, New York immediately went on like a 10-0 run. <laughs> that's going to be a big weak point for them in the playoffs once again like they had the same issue as they did against the you know the raptors back in 2000 and was it 19 yeah the championship year don't forget the team just falls apart yeah team just falls apart without joel Embiid on the floor right but now they got willie collie stein wow yeah i, I think uh <laughs> just going back at this philly team i think one thing that is going to work in their favor is the fact that they have Harden and Embiid. It, you're going to rely a lot less on Doc and his game planning. Uh, I think <laughs> the offense is pretty much kind of set. It's going to be really uh, hard in ISO, maybe attract um, a switch, and then either whoever switch on to, switches on to Embiid, either pass it to them or exploit the mismatch with Harden. And um, 
the, I think the big question mark with Philadelphia is what can, what kind of production can they get from Tobias Harris? Because in the two games that he has played, he hasn't shot the ball well. I think he's kind of looked a little lost on offense and trying to find the right amount of spacing and where he needs to attack. Uh, because they do need that third scoring option, especially if Embiid or Harden's having an off night, which inevitably they will. You need Tobias Harris to be able to provide at least like 17 to 22 points. Um, not every night, but most nights and uh, to really give you a good, well-balanced team. So hopefully they can figure that out. And again, I don't think there's any team in the East that really is like head and shoulders above any other team. But they had uh, they have Tyrese Maxey as their third scorer now. Against Minnesota, he had twenty eight. Against New York, he had twenty one, and he just looks comfortable, right? Like he he's not the he's not a prototypical point guard. The dude's a scoring guard. When you see him out there, the guy's just gunning the whole time, right? Like he's out on the like he's taking advantage of the open floor. He's a runner, and he can finish. So with Harden running the point and Maxey as like that secondary backcourt score it's kind of nice yeah that's the most interesting thing that's happened in the two games that they've played so far is that maxi has basically taken the reins as the third guy instead of harris which is what most people would have thought he'd be the guy putting up 17 plus points a game so Mm -hmm. you know come playoff time maybe that changes because you need size in the playoffs and you need guys that can you know take advantage of mismatches and they're not going to have all these transition plays that Maxi has really thrived on the last uh, four games, I think. I think before these two games, even then, he was still averaging like eight-plus points in transition. They showed it yesterday in the broadcast. It was like eight-plus points in transition uh, just on his own. So yeah. he's he's played the role of like, you know, Tony Parker in the San Antonio offense when Ginobili's on the court a lot of the time, right? When Ginobili's in his prime, he would play off of Ginobili and Tim Duncan to be like the secondary ball handler a lot of the time off the ball run secondary pick and rolls or just catch and go off the dribble. Just something he's very good at with his float game. Um, but, you know, again, come playoff time, I just don't trust this team in any way, you know? Defensively, they're an absolute <laughs> mess. They gave up so many points to the Knicks, obviously, yesterday. And then you have the biggest choking coach in the playoffs of all time, giving up so many 3-1 leads in Doc Rivers. You have maybe the biggest choker in the playoffs in history, as a player in James Harden, who's never had a big game when it matters. And, uh, you know, you got Joel Embiid, who he's been okay in the playoffs. He's been pretty good, unless he's going against Marcus Saul. And you got Tobias Harris, <laughs> who's a consistent underperformer. So I just can't trust this team at all. I mean, Raj, it, do you see anyone else coming out of the East above this? Because... Like you said, I think it's kind of wide open, this this whole conference, right? There's got to be at least like five or six teams that I could see coming out right now. Yeah, I think that in itself is an opportunity for Philadelphia. I don't, like I said earlier, I don't think there's one team that's like a head and a shoulder above any other team. I think Brooklyn on paper uh, looks like a dangerous team, but they really haven't played together. That chemistry is a question mark. And again, Kyrie and the vaccine mandate, KD and injuries... Uh, we have Milwaukee, which they haven't really solved that Robin Lopez um, problem. Oh, sorry, Brooke Lopez problem um, in center. And uh, I think relying on Giannis to produce most of their offense is a bit of a mistake. I think they need to have a little more balance, but um, they have a good chance to repeat. Miami has question marks about 
uh, just having enough guys uh, and just managing injuries. Uh, they haven't really had a consistent stretch of all their starters playing together as well. Uh, and then there are some surprise teams that uh, we obviously are going to talk about later in the pod. We touched upon a bit of the Raptors. Um, and obviously there's a team in the Celtics, which are surprisingly having a really strong push. So I think the East is wide open and obviously there's Philadelphia as well and Chicago, which, uh, has injuries as well. There's like, there's so many good teams, but there's no team that's like, wow, they're going to assert their dominance. It's very hard to beat them. They have the best coaching depth chemistry. Uh, every team has a question mark. So Philadelphia could push depending on the matchups. And the refing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the broad spectrum of things, it's going to come down to the last week of the regular season where teams are really um, looking at the standings and trying to get into a position where they get their favorable matchup, especially in the first round, and potentially the second round too, based on the 1-4 versus 2-3, assuming that it goes that way, right? Because a lot of this is going to come down to matchups and teams trying to ensure that they don't play the one team that really gives them problems, especially in round two, I think. So that's going to be a huge thing to look at, especially in the last week of the regular season, which teams decide to rest their starters in specific games to try to get down to a certain seed. And then obviously, you don't want to play Brooklyn in the first round because they're very much looking like they're going to be a 7-8 seed this year based on their schedule, their injuries, and everything else. And it doesn't look like Kyrie's coming back based on um, what the New York City mayor has talked about yesterday um, and today too, uh, just saying that he's still not authorized to play despite them changing the rules. So maybe that change has come playoff time, but it's not looking like Kyrie's going to play at home in the regular season. I mean, I know Raj, you touched on it for a bit, and this wasn't on the rundown, but I just want to ask you guys, do we really believe that the Milwaukee Bucks can can come out of the east because it looks like they're like lacking something right like if you ever watch their games they're, they're sort of just too chill about it there seems to be something lacking like they're just they don't seem hungry enough obviously we know that at the beginning of the year there were a lot of injuries eventually Giannis uh, Middleton and Drew Holiday came back together but I don't know we, we we have this narrative in our minds that as long as their big three are together you know this team is Pretty much a shoe-in for at least a second or third round in the Eastern Conference. But Middleton doesn't look like the same kind of player he was last year. I don't think he's as efficient. And they just don't look as hungry. And I don't know if it's something that, you know, like you said, Raj, losing Brook Lopez, so you're losing that defensive anchor. Losing a guy like P.J. Tucker, who's just like a pure heart kind of guy. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But do you guys feel the same way? Like, or am I just crazy thinking that the Bucks are, you know, not as powerful as we all thought they were. Uh, the biggest change with them is their shot distribution uh, against specific teams, especially the better teams. Because, you know, last year they had Brook Lopez, obviously, so they could essentially choose what type of shots they want the opposition to take and that they play drop defense almost the entire year. Um, or they switch the majority of their pick and rolls, except when Brook Lopez is in the action where he just dropped. And they can't do that anymore because he's not playing. And they just don't have the big men depth to play the same sort of style where they would give up the right kind of threes in that they would make guys who only wanted to take one to four threes a game take a majority of the threes when they're on the court. Um, like Specifically, one example that I go back to is when they played Indiana and they made Miles Turner take like 10 threes a game. 
And he's a good shooter, but he's not a volume shooter. He's not a guy that wants to take that many shots. So giving up those types of shots against like Toronto, you give you know more shots to a guy like OG Ananobi instead of Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet last year. Things like that, right? Whereas this year, their shot distribution um, against uh, their defense is going more so towards the better players taking those types of shots because they just don't have the same type of defensive versatility. They can't play big and small. They can play small with Giannis, obviously, going at center, but then you're taxing him by making him play so many minutes at the center position. And Bobby Portis has been good this year, but they have nobody behind him because Serge Ibaka is a corpse. Yeah, just to pile on to Josh's point, I think they have question marks around two positions, uh, the center position and the shooting guard position. And I think they're trying to do a by committee in both those positions, trying to get uh, Serge Ibaka and Bobby Portis to split the minutes at center and then at shooting guard have Grayson Allen and Wes Matthews. And again, those players are probably not players that can take on the full load. And you're going to have to rely on your top guys in the playoffs. And they have question marks around two important positions in the NBA. Um, so... Uh, I think they can repeat depending on the matchups. I just think they're not as dominant as they were last year. Okay. Okay. I I get it. I get it. All right. Let's let's move on to another. I mean, they're a pretty smoking hot team in the East right now. The Boston Celtics guys. After we all shot on them at the beginning of the year, after all the trade speculation between uh, you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown not being able to play together. After players-only meetings where Marcus Smart just tore these guys apart in private and in public. After learning Ime Yudoka's new offensive and defensive schemes, which took a little bit of time, but, you know, they came together. The Boston Celtics are now well above 500. Keep in mind, they started the year 500 and we all just crapped on them. Uh, they're sitting at 36-27, and 27, six seed right now. They obviously came off that huge nine-game winning streak. They're winners of eight of their last ten. Second best defense in the league. Uh, I mean, Josh, what, like, how, how have the Celtics done this? Like, has it really gone that much under the radar that they sort of c- compiled this pretty like, decent record? They're only a game off from Milwaukee, which is, you know, leads back to my worry about Milwaukee. But, you know, how far away are the Celtics from, like, actually contending for something this year? I mean, based on having a really good defense, they could definitely, I mean, not definitely, but they have a chance to win the East um, this year if everything goes right again with the matchups and um, getting a favorable matchup in the first and second round. Um, But the biggest changes from when we first talked about them earlier in the year was two things. First of all, Ime Udoka has essentially turned into not quite the level of Nick Nurse in terms of playing his better players more minutes, but he's up there in terms of like overtaxing these guys and going to a seven to eight man rotation. But the biggest change that they made was not playing Robert Williams on the opposing team center. They've been playing him against whoever the forward is on the wing, especially in the corner where he's essentially the Rover and he plays the help guy in every sort of situation. And then Al Horford takes a center. So that way Robert Williams is in his preferred role, basically being the guy that comes over and affects shots instead of having to guard the ball where the ball gets moved around and he's not necessarily in the paint, especially if he's guarding a stretch five. So just being that rover and then, you know, the Celtics being able to rotate um, based on what he does on defense. So if he's coming over to guard the ball at the rim, you have four guys in the perimeter now with Derek White now in the fold 
that are able to play the you know the Toronto Raptors type of defense where they're just running around like crazy scramble yeah scramble defense closing out on guys and now they have their five-man lineup which a lot of these teams in the east don't have um the closeout games with Eric White being in the fold yeah including the Toronto Raptors <laughs> indeed uh, yeah but uh, to to really kind of, I guess, contradict all of Josh's fancy stats and points, uh, I think the Celtics have made or taken advantage of just an easy schedule. Um, Ooh. Like, I, okay. I don't no, think... No, 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 no. That's, that's just not... Like, don't make me defend the Celtics here, okay? That's just 100%. No, just right. I think they have the best record against plus 500 teams this year in the East. That that's possibly true, but they've also lost a lot of games early on in the year against some bad teams. Um, and again, their winning streak, and let's even look at the entirety of February. They beat the Pistons, I believe, three times. Um, they beat the Nets without any of the big three. Uh, they also beat the 76ers handedly. I know that was probably their biggest win. Uh, they beat the Magic, the Hornets... Uh, the woeful Atlanta Hawks, uh, and yesterday they lost to a Pacers team. So, again, just looking at their like schedule, I think they've had an easy run, especially playing some uh, teams in the East that they should really beat up on. And again, having an established lineup and playing the players more minutes is all great, but uh, it would be a lot more impressive if they had beaten a few more playoff teams with their starters. Um, especially with Brooklyn. So I, I look at this, they've only beat two teams in their last like 12 or 13, which are really solid playoff teams. That being uh, the Denver Nuggets and the 76ers and the 76ers, again, uh, were uh, a shell of themselves just having Embiid and uh, Harris really. All right, let me just crush your point right now. Um, the Boston Celtics are the best team in the East against plus 500 teams so far this season. As of the All-Star break, anyway, they were 14-12, and 12, which is not great, obviously, but they're fifth they're 19 in the and entire 19 league. They're 19-17 and 17 right now. They're 19-17 and 17 against teams over 500. 17-10 against teams below 500. There you go. These are good records, right? Like 20, That's what you want to do. 11, yeah, you're beating up on the shitty teams. 2011 at home, which is obviously really good. And 26 and 16 against inter inner conference teams, so against their own conference. Six, 26 and 16. I mean, Raj, I mean, you're you're shitting, but those are pretty good numbers, my friend. Yeah, but again, we're we're looking at what's different with this team since the trade deadline. Yes, they got Derek White. Yes, they got rid of a, a bit of dead wood on their roster, and those are good moves. Like they are a better team than they were before the deadline. I just am not buying that this team is all of a sudden a contender from one month ago. I think mm. if we look at their last, their big change in the last 10 or 12 games, um, it's been beating up on bad teams. They had some impressive wins. Like you've mentioned, they're not a bad team. They're not a, a team like we were talking about earlier, the Pacers or the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Pistons, like or Orlando by that means. But they're a team that has beat the teams they're supposed to, which you're supposed to do. But I still am not convinced that they're anywhere close to being a contender for a variety of reasons. And until they do it more consistently and beat a few more teams that are at full strength, I think I'm going to have my doubts. 
Yeah, again, I think it comes down to matchups, but I see them sort of like a level below a team like Miami, but they play the same sort of style as Miami, right? Where they're going to have an amazing defense, and then offensively, you really question if they can score enough points in the playoffs. So I, I sort of see them like on that level where that's their biggest weakness is that are they going to be able to create enough efficient offense to keep up with a team like Milwaukee, for example, or Brooklyn if they play them? And that's going to be the big question, I think, going forward. Maybe not against but Brooklyn because Kyrie will uh, have his like revenge series, you know? Never never underestimate the revenge series, Josh. You should know this by now. Kyrie's going to go nuts. <laughs> I hope we get the revenge series between Ben Simmons versus the Philadelphia 76ers. That would be amazing. The, the 76ers <laughs> will have revenge on Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it will not be Ben Simmons having revenge. revenge. <laughs> yeah. No. G- give me Brooklyn in that matchup. I'll take KD over those jokers. <laughs> wow. I don't know, man. I think Joel Embiid is going to... Build a nice brick house inside of Andre Drummond's head and destroy oh, inside. Oh, yeah. Who's going to guard Embiid? Like, just who literally will be even any amount of resistance on Brooklyn? <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. LaMarcus. Yeah, shout out to LaMarcus Aldridge being back in the league. Um, One of the few things, like, one of the things that we need to focus on with the Celtics is an isn't just like their record, but it's the way that they're playing defense now, right? Like they're they're switching a lot more than they did with Brad Stevens at the begin, like uh, over the past few years. But it takes time to learn how to play like a good switch defense, right? It's not just switching on every pick; it's you know calling out switches whenever it's necessary, and believing that your rotations are going to be set. So you're switching off the first screen, but then everyone else has to sort of like rotate around, right? And Josh, you brought up a really good point with with Robert Williams sort of just hanging around in the corner waiting for it to be help defense. You just have four other guys that do all the work, and your main guy just waiting and waiting. It's kind of like what Giannis did for the past couple of years in Milwaukee. You know, Giannis is like ideal as that help defender, right? He's not. I don't want him as the primary guy. I don't want him running around on switches. I want him sort of just providing that like weak side help defense, which is pretty much what Robert Williams has done. So, interesting, interesting. I don't know if they can make it to the conference finals, but they're definitely a team to look at. If not for this year, then for next year for sure. Especially with the seamless uh, addition of Derek White, who's... Josh, I know you were really high on him, but that dude has just, like, flowed in perfectly into this team. Yeah, he's been really good defensively, like you would think. And, uh, you know, offensively... He hasn't been great in terms of shooting the ball as of yet, and that's going to be the biggest question mark with them going forward is can he shoot well enough? Can Marcus Smart shoot well enough? And Marcus Smart seems nope. to be much better in the playoffs. So maybe they're able to get that production from those guys come playoff time. What do you have, Raj? Yeah, I was going to ask Josh if, let's say, the playoffs started tomorrow and the Raptors and the Celtics matched up who's winning that series. Well, first of all, that's never going to happen because they're the six and seven seed. No, no, no. Answer the question. Just oh, the Celtics for sure. The Celtics because OG Ananobi's out right now. All right, but let's say at full strength. (laughs) At full strength, I think you still got to take the Celtics because they have a bit more depth than the Raptors do, which is zero. And in a playoff series, I'd rather have guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as opposed to Pascal. Even though I love Pascal, but. 
there's something about a guy who can create his own jump shot who's consistently good at jump shooting rather than a guy who spins into other players all the time. <laughs> hey, he's been Pascal. really good at the center spot. He's not just doing his little spinner roonies anymore. He's doing a lot more than that. He's taking a lot less threes, too. He's doing what Westbrook should be doing. And Westbrook <laughs> just game refuses now, to do it. <laughs> Pascal's got that floater game. I love it. All right, can we uh, move on? Let's move to the West and uh, talk about the point god, Chris Paul, getting injured, I think, like two days before the All-Star break and hilariously making sure that he checked into the All-Star game, I guess just to say that he, you know, played in the All-Star game this year. Used only no, his left hand for about point. a possession and a half. He wanted one assist, but he didn't get it. He just hacked Rudy Gobert instead. No, he got it. No, he didn't. Yeah, I saw that he's like the all-time leader in assists in the All-Star game now. He must have gotten one. Hmm. I think that was the point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I know that was the point. I don't know if... I don't remember him getting it, Josh. I'm going to look this up later. But anyways, my point still stands. Now that Chris Paul is out for six to eight weeks uh, with his fractured finger, I believe, uh, we're basically looking at Chris Paul's return during the the week between the regular season and the playoffs, right? So when the play-in tournament is happening. Is it a blessing in disguise that Chris Paul, you know, who's a little bit older, who's until last year had a, a, a relatively shaky playoff run or experience, is it a, like a blessing in disguise that he finally gets to rest a bit? Now that Phoenix is well ahead of the rest of the competition, obviously they've had a couple of tough losses, but he finally gets to chill a bit and... I kind of like that for Chris Paul, right, Raj? Like, as an older guy, you kind of want to rest your legs a bit going getting into the playoffs, no? It's good for Chris Paul, like, in terms of preventing any bigger injuries, putting more mileage on his body, and um, that's all fine and dandy. But I think for the Phoenix Suns, this is not a problem. Like, they have to deal with it. This is how it is. But this is probably not how they wanted to go into the postseason integrating a player in the first week of the playoffs is always a challenge. You're going to have to reduce the minutes from other role players, um, getting your team on sync. Even slight nuances are a little different. And um, I, I just don't like the idea, like it happens in other sports where, for instance, a good example in football this year, Derrick Henry came back during a playoff game and they were trying to run the ball with him and they got nowhere. And it just happens a lot. Um, in a lot of sports where you expect this player to come back and integrate in the team seamlessly, and that's not always the case. So uh, the Suns have a six-game lead in the West. They probably could have rested him um, a lot down the stretch, especially um, in the month of April. They could have probably played him like every two or three games um, with the lead they had. So honestly, I think the Suns, this is something that they didn't want to happen, but for Chris Paul, it's good for his legs. He... Hopefully we'll avoid any other injury and he should be fresh going into the playoffs, but not so good for the Suns. Completely disagree again. I think this is a huge blessing in disguise. Not even in disguise. It's just a huge blessing in general. You get the Chris Paul injury out of the way. You knew it was going to come eventually. Now he's going to be fully rested come the last week or so of the regular season or first week of the playoffs. He's going to be ready to go. He's going to have fresh legs at 38 years old now, right? He's 38. 37? Anyways, one of those two. But um, <sighs> you mentioned, you know, integrating Chris Paul into the lineup and limiting the role players' minutes. That's going to happen regardless, right? Like, even if he rests, 
you know, Chris Paul is going to play 35 plus minutes a game in the playoffs, and he's played enough with this team. It's not like Ben Simmons going into uh, Brooklyn where you're integrating a whole new player into a new system and trying to figure things out. Once he comes back, they're going to be the Phoenix Suns again. They're going to roll over their first-round opponent regardless if he plays 25 minutes a game, and you have to play Cameron Payne you know, the rest of the time. And you're getting a guy like Cam Johnson a lot more minutes, and he's going to be a lot more ready come playoff time to play those big minutes. I think he's going to be a guy that eventually starts for them in certain matchups in the playoffs when Jay Crowder inevitably goes 0 for 11 three games in a row. So that's going to wow. be big for them. It happens every wow. year. That's another thing that happens every year with those guys. Wow. Jay Crowder always goes on a massive like 0-4 streak, and then he gets really hot, and everyone's like, oh, Jay Crowder, what a great stretch for. Even though he's Jay, so Jay Crowder hits big shots when he needs to, Josh. Didn't you see yesterday's game against the Utah Jazz when he hit that incredible three at the top of the key? Okay, you're bringing up he, yesterday's game as an example and, then, and not even bring up the fact that he turned the ball over with three <laughs> seconds left in the game where Phoenix could have shot a three and tied it. And he throws the ball yo, in the he, third row. Yo, he launched that thing. My <laughs> goodness. He launched that thing like DeAndre Jordan put it into the stands. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which pass was worse given the context. I think probably I think, Crowder's based on, you know, them being down three and the Lakers being down 100. Yeah, but DeAndre's Jordan's was more for comic relief um, because he hesitated and he's like, yeah, I'll run the point. And it's like his momentum carried the pass um, into the third row. Um, <laughs> Too hyped up right now, man. Yeah, but uh, again, like uh, I think there's so many more question marks. Like you're asking a 37 and 38 year old uh, player to come back. 37, to an, 37, 37 year old player to come back in a playoff level game after not playing at that high intensity, that's just asking for another injury. Like he's not 24. Like he, another hamstring could go. His Achilles could get tight. He could roll his ankle. It's just, you're asking for, in my opinion, more trouble than you're getting. It's not like they had no opportunity to rest him. There's six games ahead of the Golden State Warriors. I expect that lead to grow if he was in the lineup. Um, even, eight games even seven and a half you can rest them the last week and another thing is it's not just the role players it's the other players like Devin Booker DeAndre Ayton Crowder um Mikel Bridges like playing with a player you get used to where the passes come where to catch and shoot it's not like they're gonna forget all of a sudden but it takes a game or two to adjust it takes a bit of time to really figure out how to mesh with the player and I think him being injured it's not a blessing in disguise. They have to deal with it. I think the fact that he's so old is it's a detriment. And I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I'm not saying they're going to lose, but I think it's going to be an obstacle they're going to have to overcome. And it's not easy integrating um, into a team in a high stakes situation. I mean, yeah, but just uh, go ahead. Hold on, hold on. Before you go ahead, Josh, the the the, the one thing I want to point out to you is uh, at least they're going to play like the, the New Orleans Pelicans in the first round, you know? Or the LA Clippers. So it's not like he has to go against some godly point guard. Or the Lakers. No, the Timberwolves will be seven. The Timberwolves will get the Golden State. That's it's pretty much lined up to be as it is. Uh but yeah, maybe the Lakers, but you know, whatever. Who's gonna who's gonna try to body him on the Lakers, you know? Is he really scared of THT? It's it's not those contact on, injuries. Man. It's it's stretching the hamstrings. It's getting the ankles nice and loose. It's 
Um, again, injuries happen, and the older you get, Josh, you would know this. Yesterday, a ball. Like, if you hadn't played ball for two months, that first game back, it, it you're more likely to get injured. You're more likely to pull a calf and uh, do that. It's the same way with uh, a 37-year-old NBA player. First of all, I don't have $3 million to spend on my body every year, nor a chef to make me vegan food. But beyond that's that LeBron. point... That's LeBron. That's not... Chris Paul isn't spending yeah, yeah. $3 mil. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what LeBron some people are alleging. I don't know. Inflation, right? Inflation. But anyways... <laughs> LeBron's spending $3 mil like Ivan Drago was in Rocky Ford. <laughs> but, um, you know, go back to Raj's point, you know, being without Chris Paul. This is not only good for this season, but for the future for the Suns. Because you're putting guys in bigger roles where they're going to have to get used to, um, you know, a higher usage rate and being more of the guy in the offense. Like you look at Mikel Bridges, his first game anyway, I think he took like 20 shots. It's going to be good for him come playoff time. Because in the Milwaukee series, he wasn't doing any ball handling. He was taking like three shots a game because Milwaukee just shut down the three-point line. So getting guys like him more looks off the dribble, getting DeAndre Ayton more involved in the offensive um, system that they have and getting him more shots in general is going to be a good thing. And then Devin Booker playing on the ball um, like he did in his first couple seasons and being the guy that creates plays off the dribble will get him a lot of good reps come playoff time when he has to face more tough defenses. We'll see. I guess we'll have to see. They're going to have to deal with this injury. So uh, I guess in six or seven weeks, we'll see if we have question marks about him returning and how that's going to work and if it's going to be beneficial or more of a detriment. The, hold on, just before we go to Stats Corner, Josh, um, do you guys agree Phoenix Suns are like the odds-on favorite this year, right? Like It doesn't look like anyone else is going to catch up to them. No, no, I mean, they're, they're going to be the first seed, obviously. They're going to have home court advantage for the rest of the uh, regular season and playoffs. Um, I mean, they're six games ahead of Golden State, who's struggling right now. I think they're two and five in their last seven. So mm-hmm. Phoenix would have to have a monumental collapse, and they're a really good home team, obviously, and they've... They've held it together so far. I mean, they're one and two right now, but you know they've played some tough teams, obviously, at the same time. And they could have easily yeah. won that game yesterday, too. So they're most likely going to face one of Utah, Dallas, maybe Denver if they move up in the standings in the second round. And all those teams are good matchups for Phoenix, You know, maybe except for Denver if they get all their guys back. So that's something we should talk about before we go to Stats Corner, I think, too. The fact that both Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray should be back by the playoffs, which is fucking huge. And nobody seems to be talking about it today. No, shout out to Sam Amick reporting that with The Athletic, man. I, like, <laughs> I, I saw that this morning and I just had a huge smile on my face. Yeah. I don't want to bring it up to jinx it, but ooh, baby. If it happens, hot dog, we're, we're going, baby. We're going to the finals. If it happens. But I'm not holding my breath, you know. <laughs> yeah, but Peter, no wonder you're glowing today. I could uh, sense uh, something had lit a yeah, spark man. under your ass, and uh, you're just beaming here. I'm going to buy a Jamal Murray Team Canada jersey. How about that? Woo. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> did you that not, one, did you? No, you not better today. not turn into Andrew Wiggins from the last couple of years and just not play going forward. That would be very sad. <laughs> no, but Jamal Murray's been about Team Canada all his life. So it seems at least, right? Like, he only didn't play last year because he actually got injured. So I trust in Jamal Murray. We all trust in Jamal Murray here. Yeah, and I mean, with Denver having one of the easiest schedules in the league now, they're tied with uh, Dallas for the fifth seed. They are two and a half games back at Utah for the fourth seed. So they could easily get all the way up to four. I mean, they're probably not going to get it th- not to get it to three with uh, Memphis. 
right? But no. if they get into the four seed. No, I, I like them sitting where they are right now. I like them sitting against Memphis rather than going against Utah or Dallas. Memphis is uh, uh the inexperience. I think is going to catch up to them in the playoffs. And plus, Denver I, has their number. Denver's had their number all year, so I I want Denver to stay where exactly where they are. Just get I don't out. think they're going to have a choice in the matter, though. They're going to win so many games in you know last little part of the regular season. They're probably going to play Utah in the first round again. Oh my <laughs> god, uh, I'm, I'm, we can't. I can't do it, man. Donovan Mitchell is too too much in the playoffs. We always talk about how we need more rivalries in the NBA. This is officially a rivalry if they play again in the playoffs this year. Only if Jamal Murray plays in it. You need like 50-piece Jamal Murray against 50-piece Donovan Mitchell all over again. Now that would be fun. (laughs) And Nikola Jokic taking a dump all over Rudy Gobert again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and casually talking trash. I like it. We all love Nikola Jokic. MVP? Raj MVP? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Back to back. Nice. After yesterday's game, I cannot support Joel Embiid anymore shooting 29 free throws in a single game. (laughs) It's unacceptable. He almost got a a 30 piece of free throws. Uh, I remember. (laughs) That's incredible. There was one game where in like 06. What year did the Heat win? 06, right? Yeah. Against Dallas? I remember there was one game Dwayne Wade went to the line 22 times. And I was like, whoa, 22 free throws in a game? That's incredible. Like, what kind of calls are the refs giving this guy? And now after hearing that, compared to Joel Embiid's 20, what was it? 27, 28? 29. 29 free throws? Ooh. Inflation, baby. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. All right, Josh, let's move on to Stats Corner. All right, I got one thing for Stats Corner today. Um... In terms of mid-range shooting uh, this regular season thus far, up until the point of the All-Star break, I don't have the updated numbers as of yet, can you name the top, we'll go top eight uh, mid-range shooters by field goal percentage in the NBA thus far this year? And if you want a hint, let me know. All right, I'm going to go first. I'm going with the King of the East, DeMar DeRozan. Lamar DeRozan is at number eight at 50.2%. This is also a minimum of 100 field goals attempted in the mid-range, just so you know. And we're going top 10? Is a... Top eight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Kobe. Uh, is CJ McCollum in this list? He is not. Hmm. Damn. How about Okay, Steph some of these are Curry. very obvious. Come on. Steph Curry? You say Steph Curry? Yeah. No. <laughs> Do the honors, Peter. What the hell was that? <laughs> Do the oh, honors, Peter. Oh, man. Uh, give me all-star starter, Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> oh, how about that? Okay, you should just be disqualified from this competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted uh, to give Andrew Wiggins some love, man. You were shitting <laughs> on him earlier. I just had to give yeah, we- our Canadian boy some love. Fake all-star. <laughs> K-pop all-star. K-pop. Yeah. How about Seth Curry? There you go. There was a little hint of my answer right there. Seth Curry's number yeah, three. Yeah. 55%. Oof. Is uh is Joel in this list? He is not. Maybe la- maybe last oh. year, but not this year. Hmm. Oh, so dumb. How about 
Kevin Durant. Number two at 55%, just like his new teammate. Oof. His new teammate. Andre Drummond is shooting that well from the field? <laughs> Goodness. He wishes. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, Chris Paul. Come on now. Chris Paul, number seven, 51.5%. Oof. On the board. How about uh, Devin Booker? Not on the list. Wow. Okay. Okay. I see it. <laughs> uh, is our MVP Nikola Jokic on this list? He is not. Mm. Mm. How about Brandon Ingram? No. Ooh. To give you guys a hint, it's all Eastern Conference from now on. Two of them are point guards, and then two of them are teammates. Wow. Ooh. Okay, I got wow. one. Dennis Schroeder, what a what a good player. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Butler. No. No. Really? How about Chris Middleton? Nope. Like oh, you said, wow. he's having a down year, so nope. Mm. Oh, uh, Darius Garland. Correct. He is number six, fifty-one point seven percent. So we're still All-star missing number Darius one. Garland. Yeah. Yes, still missing number one. You got one, four, and five. So you got one point guard left. I can give you another hint if you want for that, no. and then you got two no. teammates left. No. Okay, that's enough it's hints for now, Josh. <laughs> it's gonna be a long podcast. How about? Oh my god, what's going on, Raj? Let's go. Uh, how about? Oof, this is tough. I'm th- trying to think. Zach Levine. No, sir. There's two players left that are uh, teammates right now. Not oh, one you've already okay, named. Okay. Actually, technically, actually, never mind. Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, Josh. Uh, I don't know if he's that if he's shooting the ball as well this year. But Jalen Brown, I remember nope. last year he couldn't miss from free from mid range. He is nope. not on the list. Damn. Mm-hmm. What about Tyler oh. Hero? No, sir. Oof. Trey? Yes, Trey Young, number five, 52.2%. So now you just have two teammates left. And they're the best. One of them is the best mid range shooter, minimum 100 attempts. Correct. The other Oof. one's number four. <laughs> Raj is uh, really racking his brain over this one, eh? Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of teams that, that we haven't gone through. It can't be the Raptors. You haven't been shooting the ball that great from mid-range. I never said teams you haven't gone through. Oh, I know. I'm thinking. Hint, hint. I got it. I got one of them. Go for it, Peter. Bam, bam, Bigelow, boy. Bam out of bio? Yeah. No way. No. No. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Well, there goes that. (laughs) <laughs> oh that was that could have been good how does bradley beal has been shooting the ball horribly so no bradley beal him. sucks yeah, yeah it's yeah. trash this year man this year has been an off year i feel like it's fake all-star uh, <laughs> mid-range shooter we've already talked about kevin durant I'm trying to think who's the imagine, best mid-range. Yo, imagine it was like Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge. <laughs> well, you got one. Who, Patty? Oh, wow, Patty Mills. No, LaMarcus. LaMarcus, LaMarcus is number is one. Still... 
56 no. Yo, LaMarcus Aldridge still doing that mid-range game is hilarious after all these years. Oh, my guy's even more open now back. playing with Kevin Durant. And James Harden. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. Who's that last Brooklyn player, Raj? Is it Kyrie Irving? No. Probably hasn't. doesn't have enough attempts, no? Probably not. Most likely, uh, yeah. So we've already named off KD, Patty Marcus, Mills, Seth. Harden doesn't count in this, I'm assuming. There's no Harden? way we're going to count. Yeah. He probably hasn't taken that many. He's probably taken like 10. Yeah. <laughs> Mid-range, yeah. Not What's on this team? Is it like David It can't Duke be Joe Jr. Harris. He hasn't played enough. No, it's not the leader of the KKK. <laughs> is it one of the other young guys, though? Maybe. Or is it? Is it just someone we're like, ab- like absurdly missing? Oh, Cam Thomas. There you go. Fifty-two point oh, six percent. See, who the hell would have guessed Cam Thomas and Lamarcus Aldridge? Wow. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's a dirty one, Josh. <laughs> that was Thank good. You. I'll take that as a compliment. Good job. No, that was <laughs> nice. That was nice. I love thinking back to Lamarcus. Remember that one year against the Houston Rockets. Where the Marcus Aldridge just lit up Dwight Howard in like 2013 or 2014? 2014, I think, yeah. That was fun. I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm going to watch those highlights. Let's be real. But like, yeah, I'm going to think about it. It's funny, too, because when you watch LaMarcus Aldridge, he gets like uh, 40 or he had 40 point games shooting strictly twos with very minimal free throw attempts. Like he was making like 19, 20 buckets. Yo, he was DeMar DeRozan before DeMar DeRozan. Except a completely different game, but yes, <laughs> I always saw but him as like that... poor man's Dirk. Oh, hundred percent, yeah, very poor. But yeah. yes, I just meant Demar Derozan because they had that same uh, that same wing turnaround like jumper. Except that's Marcus got like an inch off the ground with no fadeaway. <laughs> yeah, and they were both mid range jumpers who just couldn't win playing like that. Yeah, and they both went to San Antonio. How about, man? See, there's there's more than we think. Good good job, Josh. I like that one. Well done. Thank you. And I think honestly, next week we need to talk more about the Bulls because I think they're the sleeper in hiding right now. Los Bulls. We will talk about Los Bulls next week. Then we will add it to the list. But until next time, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. You can hit us up with those five star reviews on iTunes and on Spotify now. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.